Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 3rd December 2020 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Remember the days when we could travel? That casualness with which we approached airports and train stations, showed our passports and glided into whole other countries? Remember that? Way back in 2019? Well, we have two stories of travel for you today. The first from Mustafa about traveling far from home, and the second from Erica about traveling a long time ago. Before we get to this week's stories, though, warm December thanks go out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. Thanks for being there for us. We are listening. Thanks go out to our international listeners, too. This week, hellos go out to listeners in Queen Bean in Australia, Brooklyn, New York in the United States, and Caracas in Venezuela. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. So... We have a December show, and our storytellers are ready to go, but it has been postponed as we limit our face-to-face time again. As with last time, we'll try to avoid only doing online storytelling, so hold tight, storytellers and story fans. We'll be back on stage as soon as we can. In the meantime, if you have a story, you can email us or get in contact over the website. We're happy to work one-on-one with our storytellers to get ready for the next open period. In the meantime, stay safe and keep living new stories. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now with a story from our October show, which was once our July show, and had the theme Community, here is Mustafa. Visa. Do you have a visa? An old chubby white immigration officer asked me while looking at me with a purpose. I stood there paralyzed in this container-like Berlin airport last year as what I thought about Germany was coming true. Discrimination against my evidently Muslim face, curious eyes following me around, and worse relations with my colleagues at my internship in Berlin. I was already feeling alone, frightened, and unwelcome. I mustered some courage and nervously said, Yes, I have a visa. Then come on in. Welcome to Germany. The immigration officer smiled, stamped my passport, and gave it back to me. I was in a state of awe. What? Is this real? This can really happen? Germany is going to be amazing. So the, day, so the next day, I'm very excited about my first day of internship in Berlin. I'm singing songs while traveling in the train and hopping to my work on this bright, sunny uh, day in Berlin. On my way, I see this novelty German drink displayed in this convenience store. So out of curiosity, I go in, um, grab that drink and go to the counter. There I see this white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes, and he looks up to me and says, Afghanistan. (laughs) I smile and I proudly say, Pakistan. (laughs) Taliban. (laughs) My heart pounds. A streak of sweat comes down my forehead, and I nervously reply, 
Oh, no, no, just a normal Pakistani. <laughs> then what is up with that beard? Shave it off. This is not Afghanistan. I'm frightened. I grab my drink and run out of the convenience store. Germany is not going to be amazing. Is this how it is going to be for the next three months in Berlin? How am I going to work here? Is my beard going to be a problem? All this was going on in my head as I walked a block to my office. Very scared, I reached my office and somebody told me to sit and someone will come and show me the office. The only thing that was going on in my mind was how my interactions will be with my colleagues and at work. Will they also think that I'm a terrorist? Come, follow me, the HR lady said. I followed her. But on my way, I saw this tall Egyptian bespectacled interviewer I'd, I had talked to three months ago. So I go up to him and nervously introduce myself. Hi, I'm Mustafa. I'm going to work with you. And you interviewed me a few months ago. That guy stands up. He comes close to me, opens his arms, and tightly hugs me. Welcome, brother, he says. All my worries and pain disappear in that embrace. Germany is going to be amazing. <laughs> so as time went by, I started to trust in the fun Germany will bring in. Um, I started to explore the city of Berlin. I started to go to work and work harder. I started to go to events and parties. And on one such day, I was supposed to go to this talk on ethics of artificial intelligence. Very excited, I hop onto this U-Bahn, or MTI as you would say, and sat next to this German guy on an empty seat. Guten Tag, I said. That guy looked up at, up, up at me and after a while said, Guten Tag, where are you from? I'm from Pakistan, but I study in Hong Kong. What about you? I'm from somewhere. What are you doing here? I'm a tourist. What? I'm a tourist. Oh, I thought you said you were a terrorist. <laughs> I get really fidgety and nervously reply, oh, no, no, I'm just a normal terrorist. <laughs> Fortunately, the announcement for the next station happens. I grab my bag and run out of the platform. Germany is not going to be amazing. So as I walk to, my, um, to the meetup, all this is going on in my head. As the meetup starts and progresses, I forget what, what had happened in the train. And as the meetup gets over, people start to talk to each other. I start talking to them as well until I reach the host of the event. I go and introduce myself. Hi, I'm Mustafa. And the, and the talk was amazing. Thank you. Where are you from? Hong Kong, I replied, learning from my earlier mistake in the train. <laughs> oh, Hong Kong, I've taught in Hong Kong. What? Which university? City University. Oh my God, I study at City University. Such a small world. This small connection led us to talk for hours on the streets of Berlin. We exchanged Facebook details, and when I went home, I was very curious about who this guy was. So I stalked his Facebook. And he turned out to be a freaking Harvard professor. A Harvard professor was talking to me on the streets of Berlin for hours in a purposeless conversation. This 
was the highlight of my trip there. Germany is amazing. So as my trip to Germany was coming to an end, I had found this community uh, with my colleagues and the professor. We have all felt unwelcome, alone, and frightened at some point, but I hope you have also had feelings of association and friendship in your life, especially in the past very long year. We at Hong Kong Stories are always grateful for the community and support from both our storytellers, audience members, and our podcast listeners, and we look forward to hosting live workshops again as soon as it is safe. In the meantime, if you want to know more about how to get involved, please do visit our website, hongkongstories.com. Now with a story about traveling in a bit of a different era, here is Erica. So it's uh, 1979, so there's uh, no Tinder, there's no Wi-Fi. Killers, we have Charles Manson, but it's not a story about him, so that's the good news, right? I don't have a story about that. But uh, yeah, so again, I'm seven years old at the time. And, um, you know, most of my friends in 1979 are being raised by kind of like pot-smoking, like draft-dodging, like cool parents. My parents are much, much older, and they're also very conservative. So like to sort of explain how conservative they are, my brothers and I are the only people that I knew that had car seats. We always have to wear our seatbelts. And my father will only buy Oldsmobiles because he checks safety ratings. Like, I don't even think safety ratings were invented in 1979 yet, but he is checking them, right? We don't do canned food. We don't do TV dinners. My mother has a sign in the kitchen that reads, unnecessary noise prohibited, okay? (laughs) That's actually real. She confirmed it. So I live with a lot, a lot of rules. So we have this trip to Florida planned, and it's supposed to be my brothers and I together going to visit my grandparents. And last minute, my older brother can't go. And despite all the rules, somehow I convinced my parents to let me go alone with my younger brother to Florida to see our grandparents. So when we get to Florida, and we live in New Jersey, we get to Florida, um, and um, everything's, you know, uh, sort of uneventful on the way there. But we get there, and I realize really early on that Florida has way more rules than New Jersey, like way more. And my grandparents aren't just conservative. My grandparents are both, especially my grandmother, like real, real old world conservative. Like, So um, early on in the trip, my brother gets sick. And, you know, I suggest, you know, maybe we like go to a doctor or like a pharmacy for some medicine. And my grandma, on the other hand, uh, poo-poo's conventional medicine and conventional wisdom also. And she says to me, we're going to do this how we did it in the old country. Yeah, the old country that they left for, like, a lot of reasons, right? (laughs) But they're going to do it that She's going to do it that way. So she says to me, when someone has a high fever, you simply need to starve a fever. You feed a cold, right? So the week goes on, and, you know, he's not getting any better, and she kind of confesses to me, or sort of under her breath, maybe not to me, um, maybe it was feed the fever, starve the cold. No matter, it's time to go home. It's your parents' problem now, right? (laughs) So 
you know, my brother is now not just sick, like he's actually really seriously, like really sick. Yeah. So we're in the car on the way to the airport. And my grandfather, for about the 10,000th time, warns me to beware of the, the white slavers, okay? So I, I, I'm seven, yeah, and he says to me, I, I will know them because they will come up to me and they're going to try to talk to me. And they're going to look like college guys. I, I don't really know what that means and because I'm seven. And they're going to wear T-shirts and, uh, and he says to me, and dungarees. <laughs> because nothing says danger like a pair of jeans, okay? And, and he's told me this about 10,000 times. So when we finally arrive at the airport, uh, the one thing I do know is what, after watching my grandmother starve my brother for an entire week and not give him any medicine when he's really ill, I realize at seven I have a better handle on things than probably most grown-ups. So I insist that we are fine. They can just drop us off sort of just at the curb. You could do that then. Um, But my grandmother, of course, says, you know, no, 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 no. We're not going to drop you off. I'm going to walk you in. And by in, she means, you know, not just into the airport. She means to the gate and into the airplane, right? Again, you could, like, do that kind of thing then. And she sits us down in our seats and, of course, you know, buckles our seatbelts for us and puts our bags under our things and says to me, like, look, listen, you know, no matter what, the plane lands, you sit and you wait in your seat. You do not get out of your seat. The stewardess is going to come, and she's going to help you both out of your seats. So you sit, you stay, and you wait. Okay, I got it, you know. And she gives me, like, one more mothball-smelling kiss, and then she reaches her hand into her purse and takes this handful out of, like, candies, right? And these candies, like, a lot of them are, I mean, definitely way older than me. Like... (laughs) Some of them are from restaurants that I think closed, I don't know, like decades ago. There's like bobby pins in the handful. There's paper clips. There's all kinds of things I can't identify, right? One of the candies is unwrapped, so I kind of, you know, make a little bit of a face at that. And she says to me, you know, it it builds resistance. It's how we did it in the old world. (laughs) So she leaves me with that uh, when she was actually escorted off the airplane because the last of the passengers was taking their seat. And the plane finally begins to roll down the runway. And all I can think to myself is like, Thank God, two and a half hours of freedom, okay? And I can see my grandparents, and they're pressed against the glass, and they're waving, and they actually, they look, like, really happy, like, too happy, because, yeah, they've had enough of us, too. And I know, also, on the other side, for sure, in Newark, New Jersey, my parents are already in the airport with their noses pressed against the glass, even though we haven't left the airport yet in Florida. So the airplane rolls down the runway, you know, and we get to, we sort of get to the end of the runway, and then we stop. We sit and wait for a little while, and then the airplane turns around and starts to go back towards the airport. And I think to myself, this is definitely, definitely not part of the plan. So they announce that there may be mechanical errors and problems. They're not sure, but we do have to return back to the airport. So the plane stops back at the airport, and all the other passengers start to gather their things and get off the plane. And my brother stands up, and I shove him back down in the seat, and I say to him, look, remember, we're meant to wait. We need to wait. So he, we, we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and soon there are no other passengers around me. And in fact, there are no other passengers on the plane, and I, I, now I need to go off script, right? So I take off my seatbelt, I look around, and not only are there no passengers on the plane, there's no people on the plane. Like, there's no crew on the plane. It's just my little brother and I. So I need a plan B, and like, fast. So I help him up, and we go off the plane. Now, I'm not going to talk to anybody, because like, you know, like white slavers, and like, don't talk to strangers, and all of that. But I do need a plan. So I decided we're going to, I smile at like every person that like clearly works in the airport with like a badge and a uniform. 
And somebody is going to notice me, and they're going to say to me, oh, my job is to help you, and they're going to offer assistance, right? But I walk by everybody, and nobody looks at us and gives us even a second glance, because it's the 70s, and there are always, like, little kids running around doing all sorts of stuff in places that kids shouldn't be. So no one really notices and gives us a second thought. And I decided we should sit down right by the gate, right? So that way, when they announce that our plane is reboarding, we can get back on really easily. So we do that. We sit right by the gate, and we sit, and we wait, and we wait. So soon they announce that they're going to offer $25 for anybody that's willing to switch from my flight to another flight. $25. Okay, so I can get like three Barbie dolls, two books, and like five packs of gum, probably like a whole load of other stuff. But then I think, again, I'm not authorized to make that sort of decision. I'm supposed to wait for help. So we wait. And we wait some more. So a little while later, um, I decide maybe we should have one of those candies. So I pull out a stale candy. I eat one. I give one to my brother. And I think it could be a long time. Maybe we should ration them. So they last two minutes. (laughs) I give the unwrapped one to my little brother. (laughs) He was already sick anyway. So, like, it it probably didn't matter. So a little while later, they announce, okay, $50, right, if you'll be willing to switch planes and go to JFK, which is you know, new, an airport in New York, and then they'll send you by limo to Newark, where we were meant to land. Now, a limo, okay, but 50 bucks, first of all, right? But a limo, this is really, really great, okay? And then I think about it again. I'm the only seven-year-old that's not allowed to cross my street yet, and I live in a dead end with only two other houses, okay? And I can't cross the street. So a limo ride alone, probably out of the question. So the minutes that we've been waiting have now been hours. My little brother rests his head on my shoulder, and usually we fight, but he's really burning up. So I'm actually really, really scared at this point. And um, soon they announce um, my name and that my father is trying to reach us. So I go to the nearest airline representative as instructed. I leave my brother. He's asleep now. I sort of gently move him over and, you know, identify myself. And uh, they let me talk to my dad. And my dad says to me, like, look, the two of you need to get on the next plane to um, – the next plane that's going to take you to JFK. So apparently my plane had been actually canceled hours ago. I missed, you know, that announcement. And it had been canceled hours ago. And my parents had been trying to reach my grandparents. Now, my grandparents were, you know, thrilled at, like, a child-free day after a week, like, of both of us, probably mostly me was the problem. But um, so they went out for the day. You know, this is obviously, you know, no answering machines, um, you know, no call waiting, uh, no mobile phones. So my parents weren't able to reach them all day long. So when they finally realized what happened, my dad said, so next plane to JFK. So I go back, you know, to find my brother, tell my brother, you know, what's happening. And, you know, I think to myself, like, I, I, uh, let me just say, you know, I, I do love my brother and I am worried about him because he really is like really ill at this point. And I'm going to find out later that he has like a 40.5 fever and bronchial pneumonia. So I'm worried, but, but, but what I'm really thinking about is, so I'm not allowed to have soda like ever. And I had a soda on the first plane on the runway and now I'm going to get a second soda and nobody's going to know. And I got a set of like those little wings, you know, and I I take them off like right away. I take them off and I smooth out the hole in my sweater so no one could tell that I already got a set that day, shove it in my backpack. And they used to give like free decks of cards on airplanes too. And I'm going to get a second set because no one knows that I was already on a plane, right? But like all that sounds great, but I'm going on a limo. I'm going in a limo because I'm going to JFK. And they said, if you go to JFK, you go in a limo to Newark. Now, again, not ever having been in a limo, I'm pretty sure maybe, like, there's a swimming pool. And I've just come from Florida. So I have a bathing suit. So, like, sunscreen, too. Like, I'm set for anything, right? And maybe there's, like, a Sunday bar. I, I don't know, like, unlimited sodas. It, 
I'm going on a limo. So, you know, my brother is ill, and that's really bad, but this, is, this day is turning out to be pretty good after all. So we get on the plane, right? Second plane, pretty uneventful, and we land, and I wait for the stewardess as instructed, because I do follow directions, white slavers, you know, strangers. And the stewardess walks us off the plane, and as we're going down the jetway, all of a sudden, I can no longer contain my excitement. I'm going on a limo. It awaits me at the end of this jetway. So I break away from the stewardess, and I run down the jetway, and I run smack into my father. And my dad is right there, and he looks at me and he says to me, you know, as soon as we switched your flight from Newark to JFK, your mom and I drove right over here. Wait, wait, you drove here? Like, in the Oldsmobile? So he says, yeah, and he smiles broadly. broadly. So there I am. I'm now sitting on a vinyl seat in the Oldsmobile, like my seatbelt is buckled in, no $50, you know, no limo ride. And the next time that we decide that we're going to Florida to see my grandparents, my dad decides we probably should drive. So now we, here we are, five of us, packed into the Oldsmobile, 28 hours, my dad's classical music blaring the entire way. And all I could think to myself was how great it was the day that I was almost abandoned. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>